My guest today went from living on food stamps five years ago to now having built a company with over 30 employees across four states, two countries, and as a venture capitalist has now invested millions in startups for underrepresented populations, including women, people of color, and LGBTQ. My guest today is the one and only Arlen Hamilton. I was first introduced to Arlen's story from Fast Company Magazine, if you can believe it, where I saw her photograph on the cover. I read the story and was completely blown away. Had to track her down, introduce herself or introduce myself to her rather, and uh, see if I could get her on the show. Such an amazing story, again, from food stamps to uh, being able to invest millions, not just for her own health and wellness and, and taking care of her business needs and her vision, but to now be able to invest millions of dollars in startups across underrepresented populations is such an inspiring, empowering story. And to figure out how she actually made that happen in a relatively short arc, again, five years from food stamps to investing in more than 100 startups. How did she do this, you might ask? Very good question. She started off selling t-shirts. She started off as a booking agent representing bands, including punk bands in Norway. She was a production coordinator, a tour manager. She basically taught herself all of these things with no formal education in any of them. One of the many things that I love about Arlen's story is she achieved all of these things from following her own curiosity. You know, there's so much information out there. This podcast, hundreds, thousands of others, all of the health help books in the world. But the reality is, is those are just resources. Those are references. Those are meant to point you at things inside yourself so that you can pursue the journey that you are supposed to be on. And Arlen Hamilton is the penultimate version of this. She pursued her own curiosity and it was her own curiosity, dedication, and of course, (laughs) just being stubborn and hardworking. But with that combination, she was able to achieve a dream. And we go deep on (laughs) this episode of the Chase Jarvis Love Show. Brings me great pleasure to have Arlen on the show. And I'm going to get out of the way, but before we do, just a super quick word from Creative Live, our sponsor. Check this out, y'all. This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live show is sponsored by Creative Live for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Live. So whether you love, passionately love where you work, or it's sort of like meh, or on the other side, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people, that's right, 75% of people say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. If so, I want to introduce you to Creative Live's newest product. It's called Creative Live for Business. And in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of Creative Live's content for your entire team and or entire company and maybe bring in some much needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to creativelive.com teams. Now, Creative Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. These brands care about creativity and innovation. And you know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. 
So it doesn't matter if you're a team of five people, 55, or or if there's 50,000 people in the company. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com slash teams. Remember, the most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills, like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness. And again, with Creative Live for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world all on Creative Live. So again, you can visit or send your boss a link to creativelive.com slash teams to learn more. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. So... I well, first of all, yes. I, I saw your your picture on the cover of Fast Company magazine in the fall. That was me. And <laughs> I immediately, you know, went right to the story. Was so inspired. It seems like uh, both an unlikely and amazing turn of events to be being on food stamps to be investing literally millions of dollars in. I think I read uh, more than 100 investments. Yeah, more than 100 now. <laughs> All of the investments have underrepresented populations, women, people of color, and our LGBTQ founders. Right, there's right? two that don't fit that, and they were very early investments, and it was my sandbox. Thought I'd give them a chance, uh-huh. you know? Give the white guys a chance. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really like, it was my kind of sandbox to experiment with it, and, and one is doing great, and one's not doing great. And, but yeah, there it's women, people of color, LGBT, all things that I identify as. Congratulations. Thank you. In order to find out how someone goes from food stamps to basically trying to disrupt and reinvent and successfully, it sounds like a lot of the Silicon Valley paradigm where something like 90% of the startups are funded by and run by white males. That's right. I think in order to understand what's going on today with you, it would be helpful to go back. So. Can you take me to the world of when Arlen was young? And I remember <laughs> I you were young. born in, in Mississippi and raised in Dallas. This That's thing right. I, I was born in Jackson, raised in Dallas really, really soon after that. have a uh, mother, Erlene Sims, single mom, and my younger brother, Alfred, who is now a rapper and a, a producer in Dallas. Oh, amazing. Who is just doing his thing there. And, um, yeah, I mean, we had, we had a really loving childhood mm-hmm. but we were broke <laughs> we had no money ever and um, it was pretty pretty chaotic just because we kept moving had to move a lot because we couldn't afford the rent and yeah. you know uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know if a lot of people who are watching know this but a lot of times when you're in apartments uh, if you stay in an apartment like this you can get kind of a uh, a deal if you move in, you know, get like a half month off the rent or yeah. something, first month free. So we would kind of go towards those deals. And oh, wow. It was, it was kind of chaotic. So from a young age, I was watching that happen and kind of knew what was happening there. Uh-huh. And I worked since I was 15 and helped pay the bills. So you moved, did you move across the country or was it No, all I was in Dallas the whole time. And, wow, and, and, and in fact, um, so, so close in proximity to each other that I was able to stay in the same school district, not only school district, but the same school. It was Lake Highlands Elementary, Lake Highlands Junior High, and Lake Highlands High School. Wow. I went from uh, from kindergarten to 12th grade, for the most part, to and the school. And lived in how many different places? I, I think it was eight or nine. I, I haven't 
wow. really figured out the exact number and maybe Anything even under two, it. everything in her two over two is impressive. Yeah. Just eight or nine. Wow. Yeah, it was for us and for me. It was really normal. It seemed very normal. And then it was when I was older that I started to understand that not everybody. You did ask that. a few people. You're like, wait, you didn't yeah. move. Your yeah, whole you didn't move. You didn't move. Like some I mean, people would move like once into a bigger place yeah. or a smaller place, but yeah. to move once a year. I know that can be very, my wife's family moved all over. She went yeah. from Alabama to New Jersey yeah. to Georgia to Texas. And, and I know that was really, uh, was a hardship. And, yeah. and, you know, those are challenges that, that she had to overcome. I can't imagine eight or nine. Eight or nine. In, yeah, and I, I mean, I am grateful that it wasn't. Yeah, in the same school. It August, wasn't yeah. the same school. So I yeah. think if I had not gone to the same school the whole time, it would have yeah. just really messed me up. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was already dealing with all this chaos. I yeah. think I would have been. Um, really um, detached and, and not ma- be, not able to make friends and things like that. It sounds like w- in chasing the deals and you know discounted rent and things like that. Mm-hmm. It sounds like there was, even though there wasn't a lot of money, was there's an entrepreneurial spirit that you got from your mother? Yeah, my mom always and still to this day, she's seventy this year, uh, and to this day she's. Um, um, Sorry, I'm distracted. Like no, that's all right. It's, it's, we're we're in downtown Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> it's easily be distracted. I'm like, she, so am I hearing things? Ma- My mom um, has always been um, had ideas. She had these wonderful ideas. In, in fact, in in her fifties, for the first time ever, she wrote a book. What? She had, you know, it was she she had the story in her head and she had to get it out and so. She had never written even a, a chapter or a blog post, and she decided to write a, a full uh, fiction book in her 50s. And so these are, and you know, it, it wasn't just a book. It was, yeah, when she first showed me a few pages of it, I was terrified. I was like, how am I gonna tell her if I don't like this thing? And what is this thing she's been What's my on? role in her yeah, book? Yeah, what, what do I do? Like, if I don't like it, you know, yeah. your, your mom, yeah, your, yeah. your family member has a vanity project, what do you do? It was beautiful. Uh, it was absolutely beautiful. We showed it to other people. They were like, no, you're, you're right. This is beautiful. <laughs> it was just something that she always had in her, but we, none of us ever knew. And um, so she taught me about being an entrepreneur, but even more importantly, about sort of following your, that voice that you have. Instincts. Uh, yeah, yeah, following that against all odds. Well, what's the, the first step that you feel like you took in your mom's image or and or inspiration that puts you on the path that you're on right now because to be I don't want to say going against because that sound that's an adversarial terms but in, in order to try and change something you've got to you got to challenge convention yeah so was there a particular project or moment early in the time uh, in your childhood that you felt like I, I mean connect I was, you with what you're doing now I was always odd I was always an oddball um, even as early as third grade, I would wear six watches with six different time zones because I was fascinated by the fact that people lived other places and had different, they were, some people were sleeping. It was a nighttime right yeah, now. Yeah, that was, it was just amazing. Six watches on one hand? No, on two hands. Now yeah, I was okay. a lady. Okay. Okay. So two hands, really cheap you know, gumball machine watches, or, or uh, and I still to this day would, would I would rock two probably. I'd rock two like Velcro watches for sure. Nice. And it was just something that connected me to other people in a way. And I don't know why at this age I felt like I needed to be connected to people in other yeah. countries, but it, it's something that has stayed with me my whole life. And it definitely got called things and looked at differently. I didn't care. I just knew that it was the right thing for me, 
and I knew that I wasn't hurting anyone, so I did it. Wow. And that's basically how I've lived my life. Like global citizen from third grade. Yeah, yeah, world citizen, yeah. And I, I also remember hearing something about t-shirts. T-shirts, yeah. So. Uh, I've, so I, I sold a world citizen shirt um, back in the day, okay. and I mean 20s. Okay. And I've sold all types of shirts and, um, and uh, thousands, a, as, thousands of them. Is it a, a political statement, putting your message out in the world? Is it to earn it just, money? Is it both? Like, well, what was the... In every case, it was to earn money, okay. because I was always, I, mean, I was broke as a child, never got out of that, never had made more than a few thousand dollars a year. I think the most I ever made in one year was when I was 21, I made about $20,000. That's the most I made before I started my fund. It's like it blows my mind today, but like the, sh the the way it started was I was around probably 22, 23. I had already gone on, I taught myself how to do tour, like put together a tour, and I toured with a punk band from Norway. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was in Jackson, Mississippi. I was staying staying with family because again we, we we had run out of money at some point, and I was like. And it, was, it wasn't like this um, downtrodden, sad kind of thing. It was sort of like, I was always happy and always, um, not always happy, but always like curious. So one day I looked at uh, one of P. Diddy's shirts. Okay. And he just had the word Diddy on it, or Puff, or whatever it was at that time. Whatever it was <laughs> yeah, a few years ago. We've lost track, yeah. And people, he what was- What is it now? I, I think it's Diddy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he was selling these shirts for like 60, 80, 100 dollars. It just had his name on it. Wow. And I thought, how genius is it to sell advertising for the next shirt to be bought? <laughs> I thought that was great. So I just, out of like, for giggles, but also, Curiosity and, and, and sort of experimentation. I connected with a with a designer, okay. who lived in another state online on AOL okay. or something. Okay. And I said, Hey, can you just make me a shirt like a design for my name? And he made this shirt that just that said Arlen, and I and I had this quote that um, um, my heart was inexhaustible. It's a quote. Mm -hmm. I've lived so much. I'll, someday they will have to forget me forcibly. And it put that quote in kind of calligraphy or whatever, and my name was the main thing. And I was just like, for fun, let me, let me kind of make a little website for this and see if it sells. It sold, nobody knew me. Wow. Nobody knew me, but first my friends would buy it and then people outside of it would buy it. And I was just like, this is fascinating that I can sell a shirt that just has my name on it. And then I made other designs with my name and people bought it. And so after that, I would, um, <laughs> well, I was a big fan of The L Word, this TV show for, for gay women and uh, what I like to call lesbian adjacent uh, women. Um, and I had this blog and all of this and I would write about the show. It's coming back this year, actually. Oh. It is, the reboot, Ooh. yes. I, I can't wait, I can't wait to oh, either love it or hate it. Okay, this is gonna be amazing, I wanna so, know more. Um, I, started two different shirts from from that idea one of them was you know how there's jesus jesus is my homeboy i would do shane is my home girl or homo girl oh <laughs> and i sold thousands of these they were featured in the dvds for l word like the show themselves loved it wow. and and because it, people could walk around and it was an icebreaker and then i had this idea one day to do custom shirts and they said i'd go gay for and you could put your whoever name, whatever name you wanted there. 
So I had uh, started with I'd Go Gay for Angelina. <laughs> Those sold out really fast. And then people could tell me what they wanted. So I would do the popular ones in bulk uh -huh. and the ones that people, I would have those, you know, take a little bit longer what they'd be. And so I sold a bunch of these shirts over time. I, I mean, if I knew anything about like business, I probably would be a millionaire already. <laughs> just off t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, just off shirts and these ideas that I had. One day I, um, I called my mom. I was living in California at this time. And I called her and I said, mom, I just want you to know just before you see it, cause I just, you know, she's, from the South and was religious and we'd already, she was completely okay with me being gay, but I just want to let you know, I have these shirts that say I'd go gay for, and you know, they're gonna, they're, they're selling, selling really well. Yeah. So. Just know, heads up, you're gonna see heads this. Heads up. So she goes, you hear a pause, like this, this long pause, and she goes, make me one that says I'd go gay for Oprah. And then that, from that point, I was like, you know what? <laughs> I was like, it's a new day. Yeah, I don't have wow. to worry. Yeah, it was great. So uh, I sold a bunch of those. Um, I sold some other ones. I sold one that said, um, um, oh, what it was? No, I can't remember what it was. I, I sold so many of them. I can't remember <laughs> so many of them. Oh, I used to, before the madness, before he broke our heart, yeah. I sold honorary Huxtable shirts. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. because every black kid I knew for, of a certain age wanted to be a Huxtable. Yeah. So I, honorary Huxtable, and those sold. And I mean, I was slinging, slinging them shirts. There's a big gap though between selling T-shirts online, sure, and having a multi-million-dollar venture fund. Not really. Okay, this is beautiful <laughs> because for those folks at home. Wherever you are in your journey, we're just hearing from Arlen right now that there's not really that much different from where you are to where you want to be. So tell That's us That's absolutely story. right. I mean, you know, there are years in between. There's a lot of heartache in between, a lot of tears, a lot of un discomfort in between. Okay. But it's the same curiosity. It's the same good intent. It's the same drive and ambition and desire to be connected to people and to make people smile, and to make people happy, and either brighten their day or their lives. All of it's the same. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot that's happened in between, but I feel like all these things I've worked on kind of have that common thread. It's weird, you can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? This helped me understand yeah. this, this entrepreneurial adventure helped me do this. Um, so if you can only connect the dots looking backwards, what were some of the dots mm. as you look back between t-shirt sales and, and <laughs> uh, one other qualifier I've often said that you know when I'm talking to say an audience of, of photographers or creators like the difference between selling your photograph for $100 and $10,000 is largely who you're talking to mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. if you can find a way to talk to the right people that's right that you know you're, you're more likely to be successful and that is a largely comes from a privileged point of view because how, how can you put yourself in a position where you're able to talk mm -hmm, to those people? Exactly. You had to do that though. I because made you my went, way, yeah. yeah. You went from food stamps to raising a, a $5 million fund. Yeah. So what what were some of the steps that you took to, to have a different audience? The t-shirt to a uh, fund of yeah, fund? Yeah, so um, I, I, I will answer your question, but I have to say before I do that, I've talked to people who have been 
homeless, people have been down and out, people have been, or just ha don't have that much money. They're not like, you know, suffering. Yep. I've talked to billionaires, same thing. Same, um, there's, there's a little bit of disconnect of like, okay, how much does a tank of gas cost and that sort of thing, but really they're all looking for, uh, as Oprah says, they're all looking to be heard. Mm -hmm. Like they really Seen are, heard, yeah. they're looking to, for that validation. And um, anytime I've not seen myself somewhere, like for instance, with venture, with venture funding and, and the venture world and the startup space, I didn't see so I didn't see a black woman who was writing checks, who was out there, who was someone that I could reach out to and say, "I started this company. Can you help me?" I, anytime I've been in that position, I've thought, "Well, why don't? Who's to say that I can't create my own or, or build my own?" either chair for the table or my own table. Yep. And so, um, you know, many, many steps for it, but. Just a um, couple of key ones? Relationship, yeah. a moment in time. Here, here's a good example, and it comes from the music world. So I, before I got into the, the, this is one of the big dots, before I got into the touring, after the t-shirts, I was a production coordinator and tour manager for musicians. Uh -huh. And it was something that I fell in love with <clears throat> doing. And I had worked with, I had taught myself how to book a tour for this Norwegian pop band, pop punk band called Golden Boy. And it's because I liked their songs and I wanted to hear them play live and they didn't have a tour. So I said, if I book you a tour. Can I you, hear you every night? Yeah, will you come out to America and tour? And they're like, sure. <laughs> so I taught myself with the Yellow Pages and with, you know, not with, there was no Google or anything. I just taught myself how to book this tour. And so I had, Learned to do that. I did everything I could on those tours. Singer-songwriter tours followed. <clears throat> and I realized I want to now work on these big arena shows. I think that that, or House of Blue, anything bigger yeah. than what I was doing because I've, I've done that and I feel like I'm qualified to now go to the next step. I didn't have any connections. Had no, no one that I knew who could help me get those jobs, get an interview. And I certainly didn't know these bigger musicians. So I set out and I said to myself, <clears throat> I'm going to reach out to 100 production managers and tour managers in like a two month period. And I researched everyone I could and I got pulled information from online and from, uh, from old emails and all sorts of things. And I found out not just their names and their email addresses, but a little bit about each one, what their resume was so that I could understand how I could talk to them. And I wrote to a hundred of them, and I made at least the first paragraph uh, personal, customized. Yep. And I basically said, like, I've never gone out on a tour of the size that you all work in. However, I'd like to be able to. And uh, and again, it was about not seeing myself there. I said, yeah. I don't see any black women who are tour managers on a on a large scale. I didn't know any. I knew. I since then have found one. Her name is Tina Ferris. <laughs> Thank you, Tina. <laughs> and she's amazing, but I hadn't—I didn't see it. So I said, in order for me to to be one one day, I'm going to have to be your apprentice. I'm going to have to break into this, and I will do a good job because I have every incentive to. And I've done this, this, and that, and you know, taught myself to book and taught myself what all these things were. And um, to not a hundred, I got twenty responses. Wow and I got three in-person interviews, and I got my first gig. 
That's my the first funnel, right there. Yeah. You understood the funnel, right? right. 100 leads, 100. 20 follows, Absolutely. three interviews. The only and one, one that I could predict was the 100, because that's uh, what I wanted to do yeah. or what I could do. Was there a, when, so that's the, the funnel for those folks. That's just basically like sales leads. If you want to talk to a lot of people, then you have to, or if you want to convert a certain amount of people, you got to talk to a lot more. Mm -hmm. So in that world, to me, like the emotional intelligence, A, to understand that that, that that was how the world worked and then B, to write a hundred letters mm -hmm. and to be able to s articulate a point of view. That's where I see so many creators and entrepreneurs struggle. Yeah. Is that a thing that you teach or aspire to? Is that, or is that just part of the, that's just, is that just uh, the get in the door fee? Like do you teach I that? Think, do, you ask, do you believe that? Like, I mean, I think that, so I didn't go to college. Uh, out of school, I was just so concerned about how my home life and everybody being broke. I didn't feel like it'd be great for me to go off to college. So I think what I what I lack in certain knowledge that's you know very specific, I can make up for in communication. And I figured that out. And I thought, well, let's let's double down on what you're good at. Let's double down on that connection to people and expressing yourself in a way. And I think it's just about figuring out, like some people, terrible readers, but amazing orders, you yeah, know? Yeah. So it's like just figuring out what you're good at and not dwelling on the stuff that you're not yeah. and doubling down on what you're good at and making that part of um, what you, that craft that you hone, yeah. you know, as much as possible. I'm uh, just noticing your sweatshirt here. Backstage Capital. Yes. And it's all making sense to me now. The t-shirt in your history. Yeah. So you're making t-shirts yeah, and slinging those things. One. And then backstage, the stage, the tour manager, the being a supporting role for entrepreneurs. Yes. All of it. It's, I, do, I just had this <laughs> like... The Winona <laughs> gift just happened. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So you, you got your gig from mm -hmm. 100 down to 1. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and now then I, I went on to, um, I mean, I worked at all kinds of jobs before that. So I def, I mean, I worked at the night shift, the, which at graveyard shift at banks and coding checks, which every time I would hit the, uh, click the button for, to check in, it felt like a gunshot, you know, when you, when you, when you clocked yeah. in, it was like, <laughs> and I, I had done that. I worked since I was 15 on every kind of data entry job you can imagine, every kind of, uh, retail everything and so I I did get that first gig and that was I mean I was um, I would have been 30 30 when I first got that Wow. before then I published a music magazine I sold a bunch of shirts I um, I had a blog I did a lot of stuff that was yeah. sort of I did you feel like were you trying to find the thing that you're passionate about or were all no, of those things I was passionate about it I didn't do anything I wasn't passionate about that's an interesting I think key. I just never I think that's why when I discovered discovered like I had I didn't know about the Silicon Valley place yeah when I discovered that when I was 31 ish I think that's why like everything else started to make sense everything else I had done started to make sense because I had always been this weirdo <laughs> who was doing these things and had no no safety net and but was always always making people excited and bringing people together. I had so many couples found, who found each other in my blog, who got married. <laughs> like I have all sorts of things, but it, would never, it was never a great business model, none yeah. of it. And when I discovered Silicon Valley, I thought, oh, you can partner with people who get that part. 
you know, you can be a, you can be, I guess, I don't want to call myself a visionary, but you can have those, those visionary tendencies <coughs> and not have to do everything and figure everything out. And so many people knew this before and I just didn't know it. So once I figured that out, that is when all of the things that I had done in the past, from the time I was uh, selling candy in the third grade to working on major arena tours that I got myself to. All of those things and all of the heartache in between, all the terrible times in between, it all made sense because I thought, this is it, this is the answer. I can, I can find my team here, my tribe here, and work on one singular focused mission and, and put all of my energy into having that backed. And once I decided, okay, I want to have a venture-backed company, okay. that's when I started doing all this research. Go back into the research page, yeah. just like you did with the band stuff. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I started doing research. I wanted to know what I was getting myself into when I walked into these rooms. So I never set out to become a venture capitalist. I just wanted to know how they thought. I wanted to know what they did. I wanted to know everything that they, as much as I could about what they did so that we would be on par with each other mm -hmm. in the room. And for me, it was, an, a, again, an exercise and a, a curiosity that I was very excited about. When I started doing the research, that was when I realized, oh, <laughs> oh, wow. <coughs> this is a very uh, homogenous world. And only certain people are getting in. Like, you're, there's only certain people who have that the code word, the password to get in. And I can, I can learn about this world and break that for myself and get in and probably raise a few million dollars. And I really thought that while I was you know, sitting on a blow-up bed in my <laughs> apartment, I was like, I probably can figure this out. I can crack this code. But wouldn't it be even more interesting if I cracked the code for a lot more people? And we went, we just went for it. And could we, could we reshape could we do the thing in the Back to the Future where they have the two parallel time, <laughs> you know, part two yeah. now? <laughs> yeah, be careful. Yeah, let's be specific, part, part two. two. <laughs> could we do that where if I hadn't done anything and it was going to be like this, could I do this and steer it a different way? And that, when I started thinking through all of those what ifs and could we's and um, I, I imagine what the world could look like in a few years if I, if I tried and if I succeeded, it was worth the risk of not. Uh, one of the things that I've, through the course of this show and my own creative and entrepreneurial journey, trying to figure everything out in the same way that you described, what I've learned is that the, the types, kinds, backgrounds of people who are inventive, who are entrepreneurial, who are inspirational, who are these different attributes, whatever your list mm. of attributes are, mm. they come from every walk of life sure yet what we see is only a narrow swath yeah and it's you know that's one of the reasons that creative live exists honestly mm. is to try and provide access free or very affordably to people who otherwise might might not be able to tap into that yeah was this a a did, is that something that you found in your research mm. and and b if so is that a message that you've that you tried to bring into these rooms or if it's not 
what was your point of view? No, absolutely. It was the foundation of why I started backstage and why I decided to go that route rather yeah. than the sort of Do island route. Yeah, of, of what can I get from this? It was that, you know, very innocently, I started reaching out to founders. And I mean, all kinds of founders, black women, white men, everything else, you know. Okay. And I would just reach out to someone who had a cool company that I liked or a cool website. I never website. got a call for Cool you. website. <laughs> I, if I had known you, you would have gotten, you would have okay. gotten the email okay. with, my, with my blood okay, type cool. and all kinds okay. of my life story in it. Cool. So you're probably better off. All right. <laughs> um, but I would reach out and very innocently, kind of early in this process, and just say, hey, can I, can I talk to you? Can I learn from you? Can I help you with something? I'll do something for free, and that way I can learn a little bit, because I'm doing this sort of immersion, teaching myself bit here. And it was in talking to these founders, and again, this is 2012-ish, where right now, I think most people hear about diversity and inclusion every day of their lives. They're almost like, come on, do we need another diversity and inclusion speech, right? They've even shorthanded it's DNI. DNI now. now. Yeah. yeah, so it's gonna be dead. <laughs> <laughs> but in but in 2012 when I was starting this conversation, yeah. we weren't people were not talking about it. In fact I was told by people in Silicon Valley who I had emailed, some of them wrote back and said, We don't talk about that. Like we being the royal, we, we don't talk about that. And the founders who I was talking to, they were all working on their own thing, so they didn't know what the other was going through. So, uh, you know, I reached out to, for instance, Patreon, Jack Conte. Oh yeah, I know Jack, yeah. Jack's been on the show. Yeah, I reached yeah. out to him the first hour he I'm was I'm really live. bummed that I didn't get reached out I'm to. So sorry. No, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. It's a thread uh, I'm gonna continue to yeah, call. Yeah, no, I'll get, I'll no, get. So Jack, So I reached out to, to him the first hour that they were, that were live, because I oh, knew, wow. yeah, I said, as soon as I saw that site, and the site was very different than it was today, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I saw the potential. And I reached out to him and I said, I want to help you. I want to help you yeah. here. And I also uh, think I can help you get some money, like get some raise. And um, at first they, they said, no, we're good. And then like, a, like two days later, they wrote back and said, actually, we might want to start raising. So what do you got? You know, who, do you, who can you connect this to? So I connected them to a lot of people. And that's a whole other story in itself. But Jack wouldn't have known that Rebecca a black woman in, in Detroit who was working on her company, he wouldn't have known that she was not even getting any, you know, not even getting in the door, not even getting a, a response to an email. And she wouldn't have understood that it wasn't supposed to be that hard. Yeah. And so like talking to all types of people, I was able to have this sort of bird's eye view. And that is when I did, going back to your question, I did understand wow, so many people are working on amazing things. There's not like, it's not like all the white guys are working on legitimate things and all the black guys were not. <laughs> everybody was working on some awesome stuff. It's just that by and large, not everybody, not all the time, but by and large, if you were a black founder that I met in 2012, 2013, no matter what you were working on, you were doing it with a tenth or less of the resources for whatever reasons you combine. And I knew some of the reasons and some of the reasons I was curious about. And to me, as a black gay woman, that was disheartening on many levels and it, was, it, it pulled at my heartstrings. Mm -hmm. But more than that, <laughs> I said, whoa, the investor who figures this out first yeah. and gets and becomes the number, the call that you make if you're a founder who's not a white guy, 
the way that life like works, the way that trends work, the way that uh, I've seen this happen, and the way that they can do so much with so little, they're going to win. Yeah, this is a there's a meta play going on right here. You are re you realizing that if you can be that person, mm -hmm. did you put yourself in that role immediately, or was it like no, this, first, this role needs to exist? I said the role needed to exist, and I started okay. telling everybody I could. <laughs> I went to these major funds through email, through phone calls. I would set up meetings with them, and I would say, okay, they're gonna love this. Like, how can they deny this? I'd say, look. And I was obvious, I mean, I was in Texas. I didn't know anything about salaries. I didn't know anything about caring. I mean, I learned, taught myself about caring, but I didn't really know what I was asking for. So they were getting me at a discount. Yeah. Even. So I would call them up and I'd say, look, I'm seeing something that I'm not seeing that you all are noticing that. It's 2012, 13. I think in the next five years, this whole diversity thing is gonna be a big deal. I can find you the companies and bring them to you and I can vet them and bring you the best and I'll just I'll give me a desk or something and I'll, and I'll do that. And you know, didn't have any idea that there were, there were uh, scout programs for white guys. Yeah. Didn't know that that was happening. Um, if, can you imagine if someone had the foresight to, get, to put me in a scout program in 2012? Can you imagine what could have happened for their fun? But I digress because I'm glad they didn't. Um, I said, you know, this is what I have to offer, um, you know, whether it's part-time, full-time. I wasn't asking for much. I was offering the world. And flat out, no, 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 no. <laughs> it, was a, it was a medley of no's. And they were just not interested. And people wrote back and they were just like, yeah, it's not, we don't look at race around here. It's just not something that we, we think is a problem. And they were like saying that I was in the wrong for bringing it up. It was just not okay. And then wow. you, and I'm talking about gender too, and I'm like, like there's white women out here who are building things and they don't get any money. And I'm telling you, they're brilliant and they're, they're going to win without you, so why not? So I, would, so I did that, then I wrote about it because nobody was listening to me one-on-one. -on -one. So then I like took it to the, to the masses, which was like five people. And then that turned into 500 and that turned into thousands. And, um, when it, I did this blog post called Dear White Venture Capitalists in the summer of 2015. After Dear White People, the Dear White Justin People, Simeon has also been on the yes, show. Yes, so it was right around that time. Oh, and in parentheses, I put, um, you're almost too late. It's like, if, oh, wow. you know, and that was from the Drake. The Drake mixtape, uh -huh. both had happened around the same time. Amazing. So I did that. And who puts those two things together? Right. That's incredible. Right, right. So it, I wrote this, and I wrote it in a way, you can still read it online, it's on Medium. Uh, a lot of people read the title and they think, oh my God, I can't believe you're saying this. Actually, if you read it, if you actually read it, I am being um, collaborative. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm saying, look, you're missing out here because you're afraid, you think it's like charity, you're, you don't, you know, sometimes you may speak up and you get yelled at. Let me tell you how to get in here so we all win. Don't you want to be the first to win with us? And I got a lot of, I mean, they went, it went crazy. That uh, I wrote that while I was sleeping at the airport. <laughs> I was awake wow. at the time, but I was, <laughs> I wrote that then and, and like the next morning it was just wow. And um, still though, nobody was checking for me when it came to like actual, like paying me for my thoughts and my time and my understanding. Your vision. Yeah, yeah. my vision. So then I said, you know, I had already decided I'm going to start to raise this fund, had no, no traction on it, not, not at all. 
then the blog post came out, a few other things happened where I would go in and somebody would, like a millionaire investor that I saw, like maybe Chris Soccer, for instance. He's a billionaire yeah. now, but he was a millionaire at the time. Yeah. Good dude. Good yeah. Friend. So I, he, he was one of those people that when I wrote early on, they would respond and not be stupid. Uh, <laughs> there were very yeah. few, but he was one of the people. Brad Feld was another. Brad, brilliant. When, when, yeah. you, reach, when you reach out, he, he he took me like I wrote him recently. He's now invested in our fund, and he's Brad is yeah, incredible. and he's and so is Chris and his wife Crystal, and I reached out to Brad recently, like in the last few months, and I just said, you know, thanks for taking me seriously back then because more than money or a job, I wanted to be taken ser- seriously. So I I just kind of um, uh, recommend that for anyone who's in a position of power, is to is to not write people off so easily just because you're safe. Because not anyone, not everybody's you know, that safe. Um, but things like Chris Saka seeing me for the third year in a row saying the same thing and not being a tourist, then he starts to pay attention. Up. Yeah, he starts to pay attention. Up. I mean, I definitely um, found my way at one of his conference, like one of his speaking engagements, found my way a hack to go speak like block his view for 15 minutes so he had to listen to me and then he invested it's effective <laughs> but um you know it was things like that and finally in september 2015 a woman named susan kimberlin who is an angel investor in san francisco who used to work at salesforce and paypal um she's you know she had known me for about three months at that point she's like you know what let me give you a shot here let me see what you can do. And so she put that first amount of, it's like kind of get you going money. And that's all, I, that's all I needed to know that I could pull it off. And you know what, I watched, um, I did two things. And maybe this will work for other people. It's totally like, it's this like, is the best. It's, wait, no, like, but this is totally like, you know, wearing the right sweater when your sports team wins. <laughs> it could work, it could not. But two things I did. One is I read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell the same year that that happened. And I understood myself. I recognized myself in such a big way when I read that. And that gave me a lot of confidence. Gave me white boy confidence, if you can call it that. I don't know. I'm working with that. Does that work, white boy confidence? White man confidence? I'm just listening and taking notes. You, You do you. The second is that almost every single year I watch The Secret of My Success with Michael J. Fox. Wow. And I... I mean, since I was a kid, I watched this. And I knew, I knew with all of my heart that, um, spoiler, I'm not gonna spoil it for you, but I knew that the end scene was going to happen in my, in my life. It was, and you gotta watch it if you don't know what I'm talking about. It's, on, it's on Amazon Prime, okay. and it's on this. You, and so I watched that like the night or two nights before Susan said yes. And uh, I'd watched it on purpose because I was waiting for her answer. And I was just like, and you have to understand, I had been sleeping on the floor. I had been wondering if I was gonna eat for days. I, all of these things had been happening, but I said, I, I gotta get myself psyched up. I gotta like. It's amazing the power of the mind, mindset. Oh, sure. Can we dive into that just for yeah, a second? Yeah, for sure. Because I think when, um, when I have had the good fortune of talking to people who are in a hard place but have a vision, mm. I, I tend to see that mindset, the folks that are in the same position as someone else, they seem to me to be radically different if mm. their mindset is different. All mm. the other the, the constraints being reasonably equal, right. the mindset of that person to me is this like, this like 
it's a catapult, it's a complete game changer. How, when you're, in your case, on food stamps, or do you use your words, sleeping on the floor? Yeah, I was. <laughs> how did you keep, how, what was the mindset? Was this something, it was in your, from your parents? Is this something that you taught yourself? Is it like, so where did you get it? Where'd you get it from, or did you build it yourself? And two, what did you actually do? We've heard two things. Mm. One, you you know read books and, and mm. watched movies, yeah. but what, what else? Give us a little more insight there. Um, yeah, I can give you plenty. Some of it I have to save for the book. <laughs> but I can give Which, you can plenty. Can we talk about that for a second? We're just Yeah. She was just just signed a book deal in the last I did. two days. With Penguin Random House in the last seven days. Congratulations. Um, just a few few days ago. Give us the first shot. When when, when the book's dropping, we want to oh, we want to help you spread that oh, word because be it's going to be perfect for our audience. That'd be great. I can't wait. I mean, I'm excited. I'm writing it now, and I'm just like super stoked about it. Amazing. Uh, but it, I'm just kidding mostly about that. <laughs> so I did very specific. So you asked a couple of questions. Yep. One is like, where did it come from? Yep. Um, I definitely think watching my mom go through so much, and she has. She has gone through so much before I was born and after. Um, watching her just do this with with a, cer with a certain humor, first of all, a certain lightness to it when 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 needed, and kind of keeping us from the from the fray of it. And then watching how strong she was and how um, she, you know, when we when we were broke and she knew her kids needed to eat, she didn't have a problem um, working all day at a corporate job and then working overnight at 7-Eleven. It was just what she had to do yeah. to make it work. And to me, if she's willing to do that and if she went through that, I can certainly be uncomfortable <laughs> myself. Yeah. And that's yeah. part of it. It was just like... Comfort uh, with being comfort uncomfortable. Comfort with, yeah, absolutely. Second is that I don't going think that, I don't think, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not my head, right? That's you, you're going up. <laughs> Second is that I don't think that there's anyone who, um, I don't think, I think everybody's equal. I think that we're all equal, we all deserve a spot here. This is all, like, we were all given this. I don't, you know, everybody has a different opinion of how we got here and why we're yeah. here. But my opinion is that whatever that answer we're is, here. we're here and we all, des we all have an equal piece of it. We all have an equal piece of the land and the, the oxygen and the, uh, the potential. And so um, when I, know that in my core I can talk to anyone and I can I can listen to anyone um, the way so one of the things that I did um, like during that time it, it's just a lot of like talking to my like in my head <laughs> like just it's um, it's just a will that I have Plank. And speaking of Will, <laughs> there's this video that Will Smith has. That's he didn't have it on YouTube. Somebody made it of all his inspirational things. I'd listen to things like that. Like I like watching things. Having access to internet was such a wonderful privilege yeah. during this time because I did have a laptop with me and I did have internet um, in different places. And so watching people who inspired me, I mean, I consider that part of strategy. You have to surround yourself. If you, if you say you have to surround yourself with people who are positive and you don't have those people physically with you, surround yourself with Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> have Oprah <laughs> in your ear talking to you on, on uh, video. Uh, you know, watch episodes of this show. Go back and just watch different episodes and, and just build yourself up um, until you have other people who can. So I was just my own trainer. 
at that time. I was my own, you gotta do this, you're doing this. And it really helped. I, th I talked to founders about this a lot. It really, two things. One is to know your intention, uh -huh. to know why you're doing something. Yeah. It, it's a huge deal to know why. Yeah. It changes everything when you realize, I don't really know why I'm doing this, why I'm working so hard for this thing, why I'm wanting this so much. Let me go back to the core of what it is. That's huge. But the second yeah. part is, um, is, um, whoa, I lost my thought for a second. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just um, reasons why. Yeah. What's your why and, and what's your, how do you control your mindset? Yeah, I've lost it, oh my goodness. I'm 38, doesn't happen that, doesn't happen that <laughs> soon, does it? Can't happen this soon. No way. It happens way. to me all the time. Yeah. Fortunately, I'm I'm seated next to someone who <laughs> uh, you're a guest because you you lived an amazing life, and I can just mostly sit back and listen. I forget. Yeah, what yeah, time. yeah. But I'm, uh, I'm really just focused on the mindset. Like you're you're doing a good job of yeah. unpacking the the mindset and how you how you got that mindset. Yes, do these exercises that help you with memory. <laughs> do them early. You know, um, but the, it's the really about the the concept of yeah having having a. Uh, Mentors that are, if they're not in your physical life, online, I think that's huge. It's it's everything. Um, that's, that's there's really so many times that I've gotten myself out of out of a, a really dark place by listening to people talk, inspirational way, or listening to some good music. There there's a there there are songs that have saved literally saved my life, literally wow. in the moment saved my life. When and, when you are in those moments in those dark times and you turn to those things, do you have, is there any other practice? Mm. Do you journal? Do you write any of these yeah. things down? So is it just about a mind shift? Not then, but now I do, the last three years. So like post the check, the first check, okay. I've started doing different things. One of them is I keep a draft in my email. I'm, I have a journal, but I don't really, I, I use it more for notes or to-do lists and things yeah. like that. Um, but I do draft, so two things that I do. One is that I really just uh, keep up with what I have to do in, in this email draft, so no matter where I am, I can pull it up and, and do that. But the second thing is that I write my own headline. My wow. Headlines, plural. And I've been doing that for about two years. What's an example? So two years ago, I would have wouldn't have had I would have had like one or two pieces of you know this article or that article. They would have been great. Okay. Since then, people will say, "How how are you everywhere? <laughs> right. Or do you have a marketing team?" I do not have a marketing team. I have no PR team. It's all inbound. Okay. And I really believe that it's because I started writing my own headlines. And I'm not going to do them like the secret kind of person or whatever, but I just feel like, um, like for instance, you know, they're never perfect. They're never whatever, sure. but I'll say, um, I had one going for a while, um, uh, Backstage Capital uh, invests in 100 companies by 2020. Uh, and I put the data as like 2020, you know, because yeah. I said in 2015, I'm going to invest in 100 companies, I said it out loud. But in 2017, I wrote this headline to myself. I'm the only one who can see it. It's in my drafts and it says, quote, and I capitalized it as if it was gonna be a headline, Backstage Capital invests in 100 companies and the date was whatever, in 2020, a, a random date. And- You're ahead of schedule. Oh, I'm de uh, definitely, and <laughs> ended up investing in a, my 100th company in May 2018. And I really believe that it had a lot to do with that and I, ha I think, you know, other example, another example would be like, um, um, so 
a partner that I want to, to join us or an investor that we want to come on board, I'll put their name in this headline, like blah, 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 joins uh, Backstage Capital as, a, as an LP or these different things that like, what would you want to happen? Write your own headlines. What, what should it look like in a year? What does it look like in six months, in five years? And it's just a, a turn on, on any kind of visualization yeah. and vision board and all that. But for me, it was very specific and it was very helpful because not only was it like aspirational, but it was like part of the intention. What am I trying to do with this movement and this mission? I'm trying to make headlines like this happen. Now, months and years later, you have cover Fast Company. I'm, uh, I just a couple of weeks ago, I was the pull quote at the top of USA Today front page. Wow. Yeah, like it, all sorts of stuff. Do you remember what that was? What the pull quote I, was I said that um, if there's anyone we should double down on, it's black women. Yeah, and it was a, a piece about, it was a wonderful piece about black women in Silicon Valley and a lot, a lot of people who are, who are uh, doing great and, and working on this. I'm gonna try and summarize, so, because these are, these are powerful, I mm -hmm. think this is the tactical stuff that mm -hmm. it's easy to say, oh man, I was out of my luck and now I'm on the cover of Fast Company, yeah. but it's just like, what do you wake up and do every mm -hmm. day? That's what most of the people who watch and listen, mm -hmm. they wanna know, and so there's, um, First of all, you were in the community, you were researching things you were passionate about, you asked yourself mm -hmm. the question, like the why, why do I want to do this? Um, I think you, part of your answer was that you were, um, you thought that instead, if, if you could help other people do this, we're basically you know, amplifying your own journey, mm -hmm. but what about if we 10x that or Absolutely. 100x it? Um, writing headlines is huge, mm. that's key. Mm. Um, do you write, can I go one, one layer deeper on yeah. the headline part? Do you? write the headlines as if they've already happened? No, I write okay. the headline for when I want them to happen. Okay. So I put a date on them. Wow. I put a, a date on them and I and it changes and it moves. This is yours. This yeah. is your private thoughts and your thing. So you can move things around. Something didn't happen or something happened faster than you thought and, or this can change. And it's so helpful to, to look at them and if you can kind of keep old things there, just sit down so you can just see it yeah. and just keep like changing and, and adapting. Like I have learned how to adapt mid-sentence because I get so, still, so many no's, so many yeah. negative things are thrown at me. You have to learn to adapt. Yeah. And writing these headlines is just your way of keeping track of what you thought was possible a few months ago, what's important to you today, et cetera. Wow. Is there a frequency that you review these? Is it every day? No, is no, it, no. Well, no. I probably is it the, is it the writing a week, a weekly basis. Okay. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll notice it. I'll look at it. I'll add to it. It's not a every day. Um, I know that you know an every day for me is in, in researching. Okay. I still to this day spend as much time as I can, and I. There's a lot. I have 300, 400 inbound messages a day. I have 35 or so uh, people working at Backstage. There's a lot of going on. But I make sure that I'm always learning. And um, because the, the moment you stop learning, like, it's over. <laughs> right. It's over. Sure. There's always going to be someone who's hungrier than you. There's always going to be someone who's better than you yeah. if you're not keeping up with things and if you're complacent. Like being mediocre and complacent are like one of two of my biggest fears. It's just being. You know. Can we talk about a couple other fears? Uh huh. Sure. What else? What else you got? 
I mean, like the normal ones of, um, I don't think I'm afraid of death, I'm afraid of pain. That sort of, like, I think I'm afraid of that. I'm mostly afraid of um, people that I care about, just having some sort of, I have this true, true, it's an irrational fear, but I also feel like some of my paranoia tends to happen. <laughs> like it's more like visions rather than being paranoid. I have this um, thing where I feel like if I become really successful, someone else, something will happen to somebody. I feel like there's this balance in life uh. that um, I'm not 100% allowed to be just completely okay. Because I've, for 35 years, yeah, you're carrying that always around. had this chaos. So. Um, the, for instance, the day that I, the day that I was able to announce Fast Company being on the cover, and it was a huge, huge day. My mom's sister, uh, her oldest sister, went into her last few hours of living, oh. and her husband was paralyzed. <laughs> and I'm laughing not because it's funny, but because one of my greatest fears actually happened. And it was just like, are you serious? Yeah, I don't some, know. There's some, there's some weird out there. Yeah, and you know, I'm just like, that's weird. Um, but you know, it's, no, it's, good. it's definitely think... paranoia because things happen all the time. Bad yeah. things happen all the time. Good things happen all the time. There are things called coincidences. And uh, but I'm just afraid. Like I think everyone's afraid of their loved ones. Of course, that's that's you know the nature of the question. Is, yeah. Like is it's it's easy for people who are listening or watching to sit in here and hear you talk about this is yeah. an amazing arc and just yeah. knowing that you're that oh i'm terrified that, of that, that. okay i'm terrified cool. of that i'm also afraid of um people on my team not having health insurance because of something that i did yeah. like i'm always making sure that they that, 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 that like i'm always fundraising and it's not because i like fundraising it's just that i'm terrified that our great health coverage goes away um i'm not afraid of losing just money in general like I, Healthy attitude. Oh, toward, yeah. I, I, my relationship with money is very uh, okay. <laughs> I don't, I like it for what it is. It's a tool. I like for what it can do, what it can do for, to make things better. Yep. Uh, I, I like the challenge of earning it and making money work for me. Yeah. I think that's great after 35 years, being able to now flip that and hopefully the next 35 so years I can, um, build wealth and that's the goal. I want to be incredibly successful when it comes to capital because I think that that's uh, it's a representation of something. But I am not afraid of like, oh, being poor. You something. slept on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. I've lived through that. I don't want it to happen, yeah. but I'm not afraid of it. I'm not like, there, there's no, there's nobody who, that's why I'm so outspoken. And that's why I'm so um, comfortable with myself. It's because what are you going to threaten me with? You, you, most people try to threaten me in some way of my livelihood. It's like, oh, you know, I like string cheese and Diet Coke before <laughs> you in a, in, a, in, a, in a wine glass before you, and I'm going to like it after you. <laughs> like, I'll be, okay, I'll be broke again. I'll still have that poster of my Fast Company cover, though. Keep me warm at night. That's right. <laughs> you said something earlier in our conversation, which was, it was a, sort of a, uh, an instruction, for lack of a better word, for mm. people in power. Mm -hmm. A recommendation, I think is how you put it. I have a recommendation for people in power. Can you make some other recommendations? Because a lot of those people <laughs> listening to the show, yeah. and I think 
whether you're in a position of power or not, we can all learn from your perspective. Mm -hmm. So what are some other um, shoulds or oughts or considerations um, that you, you would invoke? I think if you're in power, if you have privilege, all of that, I, I, I really think that not just, you know, you probably hear share your privilege. Yeah. I'll reiterate that, I'll say that, share your privilege, yeah. nothing wrong with it, but let's look at that a little bit. Um, first of all, realize that you have privilege and what privilege is. Privilege to me is not a bad word. Entitlement yeah. is a bad word. So re realize that almost every human being has some privilege. And that for me, my privilege is that I can walk. I'm not in a wheelchair. I have my mental faculties when I can remember things. <laughs> I, you know, I, I have a, I'm tall. Um, I, I have that privilege. Now, a lot of things I, I, I don't have a privilege and I have to kind of look at someone else's privilege. But I don't, I think that sometimes affluent white men, because they're, I mean, right now, they're getting yelled at a lot. And I do some of the yelling. I think sometimes they just gonna close off and they're like, it's not my fault I was born in this body. Like, back off, it's not my fault. My dad and my mom has some money and I, you want me to be broke? You know, I've, heard, I've sat down with people and talked about it. It's not so much in blaming or being upset that you have it, it's more like, that's great that you have it. We need more of that. We need, we need as much privilege as we can get and share that, you know, share it with people. And one example that I give for people who maybe privately concerned about sharing their privilege. And sometimes this is a deep fear that some people have that if they share it, it goes away or it's diminished or something to that effect. Is if imagine that you are at a standing room only concert at, a, at your favorite place to see shows and it's standing room only and you can still hear people at that kind of small kind of place. And there's someone who is shorter than you. Or if you're really, really short, someone in a wheelchair that's behind you. And they say, friendly, when it starts, hey, can you, can you move to the side so I can see the stage? Now, in that split second, most people would say, sure. Most people wouldn't just stand there and be an ass. Most people would say, sure, of course. Yeah. Of course. When that happens, you get to see the stage and enjoy the show. That person gets to see the stage and enjoy the show. And you are still the same height. You have not lost any inches <laughs> on your height. <laughs> Everything is cool. That's to me what sharing privilege is and could be. Yeah. And so I would say dissect it a little bit and and think of it that way. And um, it, it, you know, it make it'll make it'll brighten someone's day or their life to do that. Um, yeah, that's part of it. So powerful, great, beautiful nugget there. Thank you for sharing it. No problem. Um, thing two, I was reminded of as you were talking about your journey just a, a moment ago is are there things that you see in the next near future that are coming like a freight train that other <laughs> people don't see? Because you talked about the diversity and inclusion movement in before, 2012, long yeah. before there was a tag and, a, and a, an idea and it, and it had a namesake. They're clearly, you know, with you being the avid researcher and in the role that mm -hmm. you're in right now mm -hmm. and, and being able to help other people, what are some things that you see that the rest of us are not? Well, it's on the same track. It's not that I've gone out to look at something else. It's actually on the same track. It's okay. the, where we are in this story. I think people may think, okay, well, 
I, re I have added the 10 black ladies that I was given the list of to my Twitter feed. <laughs> I am now woke. <laughs> Everything's taken care of. There's that girl over there who writes checks to black people. We're good. I think what I see is in the next two years, now I've been saying this for two years, now we're getting closer and closer to it, 2019, 2020, there are going to be, because of many different types of forces, there are going to be outsized exits for underrepresented, underestimated founders. It's going to happen. You're kind of almost, you know, again, too late to get in on those, but yeah. it's going to happen. Okay. And when that happens, just like most fads, a lot of venture and other types of money is going to be th piled on and yeah. thrown into it and willy-nilly. And so I say to founders who are underrepresented, get your buckets out, catch the rain, but hold on to it because it's the exact same time that the market is about to go crazy. Got it. So hold on to this money. Don't think that th you have made it. It's a heyday. Let's do a team uh, retreat in the Bahamas. Really focus and understand that it's a fickle beast. Yeah. <laughs> and it will go away and you're going to need that money in 2021 and 2022 when it's gone away. And it's even more of a reason to be so incredibly focused on revenue and sustainability early on and not need us. Don't need venture capitalists. I'm, I'm begging you. Do yeah. not need us. Do not seek us out. Do not seek them out. Um, have them come to you and give them every reason to. I also think that if you're an investor or someone who has works at a, a company who can, who's an M&A or who can make moves or be a customer for these founders, now is the time to get in with those founders and with those companies because what's going to happen is two years from now, the people who are calling you up and saying, will you please take the meeting, will you please take the meeting, I have something, a lot of them are, are going to turn their backs on you in two years. You're going to have the same CMO job, and they're going, to have, they're going to be in their heyday, and they're going to turn their backs to you when you're asking them at the conference as you just saw them speak. And this is very personal because <laughs> it happens to me all the time. They're going to turn their back and say, you weren't, you weren't with me, could care less about me then. Why now? So... You don't have to, you're not expected to like learn everything and, and, and have this inauthentic relationship with different cultures. But just like anything that you do, uh, people get excited about Bitcoin, people get excited about blockchain, about uh, AI, uh, autonomous vehicles. What do they do? These really intelligent investors. They research the heck out of it. They talk to as many people as they can. They learn who the players are. Yeah. Do the same thing when it comes to diverse founders because pretty soon the word diverse is going to go away and it's going to be you're not going to think oh what happened to that diverse founder you're going to think about oh can that guy give me a job because he just sold his company because <laughs> this it's just it, you know it, I predicted and then I made it happen but I predicted I would invest in 100 companies by 2020 and people laughed at me laughed me out the room laughed in my face it has now happened I predicted that in 2012, I predicted that in the next five years, people, everybody would be talking about diversity. It has happened. So when I tell you that people who are underestimated today are going to be, uh, have, you know, running, be running certain things in two years. And, and by the way, asterisk, 
Atlanta oh. is going to blow the F up. Wow. <laughs> In the next two years. This you, is a prediction. Oh my, it is absolutely, quote me, quote me. It has already blown up, it's already been doing its thing, but it is about to be real, real. Let's get pull on that one more time. Okay. So, like, we, not just Atlanta. We talk about the decentralization. You went to Silicon Valley, met with these classic investors. Sure. I've also raised money from yeah. a lot of those same investors, yeah. and, and Creative Live has a uh, an, an outpost there. A lot of our executive team. Yet everybody I know is talking about Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. Salt Lake City, mm -hmm. Raleigh, Atlanta, mm -hmm. Seattle. I've been, I've been like, to those five places all in the last three months. There you go. And I can tell you they're right. So is it is it a massive decentralization or is it literally Atlanta and is it literally Denver? Or I think Atlanta's gonna be a bright, bright, bright star okay. on the map. Okay. I d definitely think it's going to be a decentralization across the board though. Okay. And the way I look at it, is just like you you live in I don't I'm not really good on the sports stuff so I may be wrong but you know football and handball I don't know what it is. <laughs> just like people love their local teams yep. and it doesn't matter what city you're in you, you have this team that you love yep. right I think that's what's going to be like for tech hubs across the country. I think uh -huh. it's going to be like they're going to be these heroes that come out, and 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 because it's across the country, they're going to look a little bit different. They're going to be you're going to stick like white men have nothing to worry about. You are going to be in charge until the day day you die. It's going to happen. You're you have so much power. There's not there's decades and centuries that have to go by before you're going to be able to see the stage. You're going to be you're going to be able to see the stage just fine. But they're going to be—they're going to merge these other leaders, and they're going to uh, represent different cities and, and states. And it's going to be really, really beautiful and wonderful. And I would also recommend, if you are still, for some reason, sitting in Silicon Valley with your feet on your desk, you still haven't gotten the memo. Let me give it to you. Just like these college and and professional teams send out scouts to, you know, to sit on the sidelines at high school games in Des Moines, this is what you need to be doing. You don't need to wait for someone to walk into your office. You need to be hop, skip, and jump on that Southwest flight. Get yourself uh, a wing exit. You know, you, a lot of leg room. <laughs> they don't have a lounge, but you'll be fine. You'll be just fine. Um, and, and get out there and meet people in different states and, and um, it's the people who have figured that out. I mean, even the like traditional yeah. investors who have figured that out, they're they're going to win too. It's yeah. just like Steve Case talks about. Yep. Um, it's not just black and brown founders and women. It's like going into cities that people could have cared less about in the tech world, and and um, they're they're on. So that's why Atlanta to me is so interesting. What about Philly? Philadelphia. We we just launched an accelerator, and we are in four cities. One of them is Philadelphia. The Maybe. first one that we Amazing. chose was Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot about Philadelphia. Yeah, Philadelphia, we're in Detroit. Culturally, it's like a really strong reinvention going on there. It's, it's and, amazing, yeah. and and there's there's a lot going on, and it's um, it's almost it's 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 comical to think that some investors think that they're doing someone a big favor by going to visit. Uh, I'll go see you. You can have me in your city. Uh no, these people You're are working win, on yeah. amazing things. Yeah. And you are lucky if you get to participate. I mean, I'm just like so, 
uh, passionate about that because it's just right in their faces. Well, your passion comes through. So, mm. but you, you just did a great thing, and mm. I want to put a pin in that, which mm. is give a lot of advice to people who need to hear it on the founder, yeah. founder or sorry, on the the venture side, and and people who and are angels in, yeah, and, and, are in a and all sorts of privilege, of we'll call yeah. it. Let's flip the script now mm -hmm. and. For those people, because you also gave some advice, like, hey, if you can make your business work without venture capital, great. Don't, don't, yeah. don't, don't feel like you got to come seek us. But what other adv advice would you have for the population, the creators, and the entrepreneurs who are listening, regardless mm. of socioeconomic status, race, gender, orientation? Sure. Like, do you have some prescriptive advice? I mean, just be you. <clears throat> like, don't lose yourself in all of this. Um, there are all sorts of interesting models coming out now for finance, for, for capital. So if you're over there selling your soul to the devil because you want some of this venture money, in a minute you're gonna be you're gonna be like obsolete. Like that venture's gonna be obsolete in a minute, and you would have sold your soul to get a little bit of money that you could get for much cheaper and for much more with much more dignity somewhere else. I promise you, people are working on that. Like Kickstarter, all, like, what, like all, like crowdfunding, and and just people who are just fed up with traditional models and people who all also you talk about Salt Lake City. There's you know there's Bryce in Salt Lake City who is working on these different model this different model. You have the um, ZebraCon. You have people working on that Philadelphia and in Portland. On uh, you have all sorts of people talking about debt financing and and revenue shares and again you have this resurgence I just sat with Ben CEO of MailChimp and he has 600 million dollars in revenue 2018 and had not taken a dime of venture <laughs> and we were the first backstage was the first VC to step foot in their uh, pant and like to have an interview in front You're of like, their employees you, you can come in yeah you can well, see they, the stage. they made it they did a whole this like did this whole disclaimer before we went on Wow. <laughs> they were like, we know their VCs, give them a chance. <laughs> but you had, to me, if I were starting a company, which I've started too, Backstage Capital, Backstage Studio, um, if I were starting a company from scratch today, and someone like me existed in the world, and I was somewhere else, and we had all these people that exist right now, we have all these awesome investors that exist and are playing in the same sandbox, I would do everything I possibly could to keep as much equity as I possibly humanly could um, before I ever, ever, ever thought about going to get someone else's money. It is, I've, I've raised money and I invest money. I know what I'm talking about. It is a uh, hard cycle to get out of. Yeah. And I, I, I call venture capitalists reluctant drug dealers. We know that as soon as we give you that first check, you're in. Yeah. And so you have power beyond your wildest dreams right now. I am jealous of people who have just started a company because they have 100% of their company. I'm jealous of angel investors because they're not beholden to LPs. If you, the thing that makes you feel like you're, that you have a lesser footing and lesser positioning is what is enviable about your situation. If you own 100% of what you're working on, hold on to that for dear life and don't look back. Amazing advice. I can think of no better way to end the, <laughs> end the interview. We've gotten a little long. I wanted to say thank you so much All right. for being on the show. Huge yeah, fan. Thank uh, you. It's been inspiring to hear from you. We'll do everything we can to shine the light on Backstage. And this thank is you. such yeah. a cool thing that you've built. Um, thank you. Backstagecapital.com. Check out all of our founders. Yeah, that they're, was the They're next, the show. That they're was the headliners. The, the close is, are there some 
just basically the, the, yeah. the 100 companies or so that you've done business yeah, with, they're you, listed you, there. They're listed there. There's also another micro site called backstagecapital.com slash the number 100, okay. just 100. And that gives you all of our past. It gives a great, uh, great uh, snapshot of what we've done. You can also follow me. Um, yeah, I was going to uh, say, what's the best yeah. coordinates for you? Instagram and, and Twitter, Arlen was here. A-R-L-A-N was here. Okay. And I'm, I'm on there a lot uh, yelling at people. We didn't get into that. I've seen you. It's just inspirational that you can uh, you can hold your space so well and and be a leader, a voice to look up to. Well, come so. on, hang out with us. <laughs> it'll be it'll be fun. Just Thank you so much for being <laughs> the show. Appreciate it. Thank you. Signing off for another episode. Hope you enjoyed that. Look forward to being with you again tomorrow. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.